This is Mindset for Success, a We Global Studios podcast hosted by Dr. Leslie Knudsen. We explore the familiar, but not often talked about, deep-rooted emotional experiences that successful females have when setting up their businesses, and we learn how they overcame them. I'm here to introduce my next guest, who I'm very excited to have, Paula Burns. Thank you so much, Paula, for um, joining me today. You're welcome, Leslie. I'm glad to be here. Um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Paula, who has had a very um, colorful and exciting career. Paula is currently the Vice President of Operations for Ball, Ball Aerospace. Paula Burns is responsible for facilities, industrial operations, and new business information technology services, manufacturing, and test operations, mission and process analytics, and supply chain management. Paula began her, began her employment with Ball Aerospace in 2004 where she helped establish the program management office focused on driving consistency and excellence into program development. Additionally, she served as manager of the independent research and development portfolio for tactical products focused on providing technical advantages to the warfighter. As the director of production programs for tactical solutions, Paula managed a 100 million portfolio tripled profit and improved on time and delivery from 68% to 100%. For the past two years, Paula has run the ITS organization focusing on stabilizing services during unprecedented growth. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, Would you tell me a little bit about your upbringing, um, your background, just so the audience can kind of get a flavor of who you are? Sure. So I, uh, I'm originally an East Coast girl. I grew up north of Boston with seven brothers and sisters. I went off to college. We all did. I'm not exactly sure how my parents managed that. But um, so I got to college. Uh, I joined ROTC to help pay for college. It was very, very expensive. And my parents had, I think it was six kids in college at the same time. So I joined ROTC when I graduated from UPenn. I went straight into the Navy. I ended up flying helicopters for the Navy for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I retired from active duty or I left active duty and I went to the reserves and spent another 10 years flying C-130s for the Air National Guard. And I retired in 08 um, with 20 years of service. And while I was in the reserves, I did some consulting. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And so um It was really a great opportunity to get picked up by a consulting firm because I got to work in and out of many companies and start to see what's the kind of leadership I want to work for, what's the kind of company I want, what's the kind of culture that I want to be part of. And I did that for a few years, and then I was lucky enough to get in um, with Ball Aerospace. So I've been at Ball for 17 years, taking on uh, positions with varying levels of um, responsibility and mm-hmm. as you said, now I'm a VP of operations there. Mm-hmm. Looking backwards, um, how do you think that you were able to make the decision to switch from the Air Force into um, a company? Yeah, so I, you know, I always knew I wanted to have a civilian career. Uh-huh. And so when you get to that 10-year mark in the military, you're, you know, young 30s. And for me, it was, I loved what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, 
I loved serving. The flying was so, so exciting. And I also knew I wanted a civilian career. And at that point, you kind of got to, you kind of got to jump or I, I felt like I needed to jump. And if I was going to establish a successful career on the civilian side, that was the time to do it. I kept my foot in the military so I could earn my retirement and I could keep flying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started to seek, you know, what was really next for me and what did that look like? And having gone from school right into the military, you really, I didn't have a sense of what I wanted to do at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I went to chef school and became a pastry chef. And, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, and I was very adventurous and I would try anything. And, um, I, you know, I didn't have children, I was married. And um, so I felt like I could really experiment, but I really didn't know what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So you strike me as a very courageous woman. So part of being able to jump is also to be courageous. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, people always use the word fearless. And I I, I don't use the word fearless because I, I think fearless is, is just, you know, your ignorance from intelligence, right? Like things can right. happen. Right. It's not so much fearless. But for me, even when I was a young kid, I was always willing to try things. And in my mind, the way I would frame it is what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. And frankly, after serving in the military and see, seeing some of the worst that can happen, when you're moving into the civilian sector, you know, you this may sound glib and it's not meant to, but the, nobody's dying based on the decisions that you're right, making. Right. And and you're always going to land on your feet. And, you, you know, you can always find a job somewhere and make some money and try to pay the bills. And so I always really felt not fearless, but that I could put the consequences of my decisions into perspective. And that was true even before you joined the military? I think so. I was really always that way, even as a kid. And I, I believe, you know, I played sports. I was a competitive athlete. And I think for me, I learned uh, you lose and you come back. You get back mm-hmm. on your feet. You dust yourself off. Mm-hmm. You get back in there. You win. You do it with grace. Um, and so, you know, to learning to win and lose and get back on your feet was just something that was in my DNA, mm-hmm. you know, from when I started playing basketball at seven, you know, so mm-hmm. um, it served me really, really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Growing up, things felt easy in terms of competition. Yeah, things felt yeah. easy. It, How come? It, I, you know, I mean, my family were all built like athletes, you know, and we were all, um, competitive and wanted to win, you know, winning was great. You know, nobody likes to lose. You just have to be able to recover from it. And it was what we did. I mean, there was a three bedroom house with one bathroom. My mom threw us outside with basketballs and street hockey sticks and, you know, um, and, and all the families in the neighborhood were like that, you know, big Irish and Italian families. And so the kids were always out and that's what we did with our time softball, you know, basketball, mm-hmm. tennis. It's just, uh, you know, how we good spent support. our summers. And good support network. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Close, close community. Very close community. And, and you know, the town that I grew up in had free everything, free recreational softball and all these things always going on. And so um, there wasn't a barrier Mm-hmm. of money and you know now kids playing sports it's cost a fortune mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate you know um but mm-hmm. i was i was very lucky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um 
COVID was hard for a lot of people, especially in terms of work. Did you find that it was difficult to make the transition to VP during that time? I, I did. I really did. So I took the position about five months before COVID hit. And of course, I still owned our IT department. And my company had not been a remote work company. We manufacture and design and the culture has always been super collaborative and in-person and it's very much a relationship company. So we never really embraced remote work of, of any sort, although we had some capability. And fortunately, the IT team had been working relentlessly for the few years before that to uh, beef up our infrastructure and our ability to do that. So we made a fairly seamless infrastructure and IT mm -hmm. um, transition. I mean, it was hard for people. It's like, well, what's this WebEx? You know, how's this work? And, right, um, right. you know, there was, a, there was a certain amount of training for, for employees and things like that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that's always motivated me is how much, you know, I care about my people. You know, I mm -hmm. grew up caring about my troops and, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, I had 800 people coming in every day. They could not work from home. And we were hiring like crazy. We were in a growth trajectory. I mean, very senior people starting in the middle of COVID, having never met anybody. Mm -hmm. And so um, to try to keep the relationships and the connections and not to mention the additional 12 hours of meetings with all the other execs trying to figure out, well, what rules are we going to make? And what's the CDC saying? And, you know, how do we keep the business running? And so it was, it was extremely taxing. I guess the, you know, the, the silver lining is it was taxing on everybody. Right. You know, nobody was alone. Your kid, you know, people with kids and my own teenagers and, it was just a common struggle for everybody. And I think um, just having that empathy, you know, for yourself and for everyone else and just recognizing, mm -hmm. oh, my goodness, everybody is just doing the best they can today. And, and yeah, that's, and, that's and, it. and managing a team can be emotionally tiring. Especially oh yeah. If there's I, you didn't say 800 of them, but you had a lot of people that that were depending on you to sort of make the transition to being online in COVID. Yeah. Easy and emotionally, and that's a lot of and so my my sense is you have a high threshold for being overloaded. <laughs> I do. I Until I completely crumble, <laughs> Leslie. <laughs> okay. so, not that I want to pick on that, but um, a lot of the women, successful women like yourself that I interview have a high, have historically had a high threshold for being overwhelmed. And of course, part of that comes from if you got to get the job done, sometimes that means you got to take on being overwhelmed. Yet there's a, there's a, there's a cost to that. And sometimes it takes lots of experience to get there, but I'm wondering if COVID brought you to that experience or you had begun to consider being overwhelmed was a tax on you earlier than COVID? For me, it was definitely earlier than COVID. And I, I think the thing with, with, with being able to juggle so much, I mean, you know, women juggle the children and the house and the job and the, so, 
in a lot of ways, we're wired to the multitask and getting it done on multiple fronts. And we sort of, you know, sear that into our DNA and the ability to get stuff done and focus is what contributes to our success along the way. But there is really that certain point. And for me, fortunately, it was, it was before COVID. I think COVID was an, it was an extra weight, uh, to say the least, on so many. But I had had other points in my career, and I knew the things that I needed to do. I think what I lacked and what I got from COVID was the, the self-awareness about the warning signs mm-hmm. and, um, and just how I was feeling and, and being overloaded. And I have to say, um, the company that I work for, they really do want you to take care of yourself and they understand that life ebbs and flows and your ability to mm-hmm. go at 110% is um, uh, temporary and fleeting. Right. So I knew it before COVID really put it front and center. And I think it made me more empathetic and gave me more of an ability to recognize it in other people around me, which is critical as a strategic leader in a company. You know, it's not just me. I got a high performing uh, team that's doing heavy, heavy lifting and I got to see it in them too. So do you think there's a risk if you're not able to watch out for the signs of being overloaded that you might not also see it in the people who you work with? Yeah, I think I, always, you're I am. Yeah. You know, I think it's a, it's, it's not just a self-awareness, but it's an organizational awareness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and frankly, I have to set the example. I mean, I've been looking at my people this summer and I've taken vacation and I have taken trips and I have gone to see my family and I have looked at my people and I am watching their vacation balance. And I'm like, you have to do this. You have mm-hmm. got to get out of here. And I, my, my quote this summer is, vacation still works. You'll feel better when you come back, you know? Right, and, sure. um, and I've just, and it sounds like such a cliche. Oh, I have to set the example by taking vacation. But <laughs> you do, you know? I mean, you have good people. They'll, they'll run themselves ragged. And that's, that's not good for them or the organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To the young, ambitious woman out there who's looking at seeing, listening to our um, podcast, do you think you need to have that on board early in your career or you should learn to multitask, work through high thresholds of being overwhelmed and then get to a certain point where you can rely? You know what I mean? How can you, if, yeah. if, we, can, if we can help delineate what feels you know, healthy versus not healthy? I think everyone has to be capable of the push, right? So everybody's got to be capable of the multitasking and the high workload. And that's not sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. That's a two weeker. That's a end of project. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for young women early in their careers to align with their, their managers and there's their, and just say, I get this, you know, this is, this is how we need to be. And, and we push through it, we get stuff done. And then, you know, good leaders will recognize, you know, at end of a major milestone, you celebrate and you ratchet the steam back, right? Like you put the relief valve back in place. And so, um, um, I, you know, I think 
that's good leadership, right? And I would say for people young in their career, recognizing if they're working for decent leadership or not is super important. If, if they're really willing to drain your blood, that's not good leadership. Did you have a mentor at some point in your careers, multiple, where you felt like you had somebody who was able to kind of navigate some of that for you? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I, I've been so lucky. I can count on a couple of fingers um, the poor leaders that I've worked for. And I would say, you know, I, had an int- I got an interesting perspective in flying for the Navy because um, in order to fly, you're required to have eight hours of uninterrupted rest mm-hmm. every 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, you could fly for 14 hours and then, you know, and then the rest could be from two in the morning. So, you know, six in the morning, whatever. But um, and those were just hard rules. And so it kind of got built into the way um, I look at things. I think my first and, you know, my first consulting jobs when we were running nonstop and going and going and going. I'm like, this is bananas. The quality of the work is going down. And um, so I think, you know, I think I, I learned kind of both Mm -hmm. and, but you're going to have to be able to go work through some pushes. That's a given. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, you're also going to have to recognize when you're going to your knees, you know, when are you going into the red zone? Cause you're not any good there. And let's just kind of focus in our few last minutes to talk about the red zone. You talked about the helpful kind of stoplight warning sign. Any other situations that you've sort of been able to figure out things that have helped you not totally crumble, pick it up sooner and, you know, do something? Yeah. You know, so I've read a bunch of the Brene Brown books. I'm sure a lot of people have, but I, you know, I'm my level of self-awareness. I mean, I, I, you just can't stop figuring yourself out. And my advice to young women is, man, I wish I didn't wait till my forties and fifties to start some of that more, you know, who are you as a creature? You know, Mm -hmm. what are your, what are your strengths? You know, how do you pick up on when you're starting to feel super drained? Look at the work you're doing. If your work is draining you every day, it's not the right work. You know, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. hard sometimes. And so, I would just say that self-awareness journey, I, you know, I'm encouraging my daughter and other young women. Um, I just played golf yesterday with three of our young professional women from my company. Terrific, smart, motivated. And we talked about some of that stuff. And I said, Uh start now, figure out who you are. You're going to have, you know, these tremendous strengths and all these little weird idiosyncrasies and the way you respond to stress and, um, know yourself better earlier. And and the idea would also be not to get caught up in feeling inadequate if you're feeling (laughs) overwhelmed, just to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a non-engineer at an engineering company. It took me like 10 years to not think I was an imposter, right? So, uh, you know, and um, understand your value, right? You know, when you start to feel like, hey, I'm an imposter, you know, what am I doing here? And we all say that to ourselves once in a while, but understanding the value that, that you bring. And it took me, it took me a good five or six years and getting promoted to understand this is my value proposition for the company. I'm not going to design spacecraft. I'm not going to design hardware. 
Um, you know, I am going to make the, the organization run better. I am going to mm-hmm. lead people in a way that's inspiring and strategic. Mm-hmm. And um, so you're going to be in different situations early on, start to write down what's the value that I bring to this project, to this mm-hmm. job, to this organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be in multiple dimensions that you add value. Right, right, right. I want to tell you so much. Thank you for being here today. That was really great and very exciting and inspirational for our women. Um, if our listeners wanted to find you and learn a little bit more about you, what would you how could they find you? Yeah, so I don't have a significant um, social media presence because of the nature of my position in aerospace and defense, but I'm on LinkedIn, Paula Burns at ballaerospace.com, and that has um, all of my um, my information on it. And so you can always find me through um, LinkedIn, which I keep up with pretty well. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital DIY startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knutson. Please drop me a line at mindsetforsuccess at weglobalstudios.com. See you next week.